Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, uh, today, without a coffee, uh, we are going to be talking about a reasonably successful company that was founded in the 1970s. And what we have initially is we have uh, two spouses, and the spouses become shareholders of the company, and one spouse is the director of the company. Time passes, uh, and I use the word successful deliberately. The business goes well over a number of decades. Uh, there's a new shareholder added, and then that shareholder departs in about 2005. As part of that shareholder's departure, various assets of the company are valued, and in any case, the departing shareholder is paid their fee. Now, the remaining director of those spouses I referred to earlier, then enters into an oral agreement with two other people who we're gonna call the plaintiff, or the plaintiffs, for the sake of today's discussion. And what is interesting, particularly for our discussion today, is that the plaintiffs and the director, who is also one of the spouses, uh, who are the sole shareholders of the company, disagree on what the effect of that agreement is. And today, we're going to get into that dispute. Now, what our remaining spouse director, uh, who is also the shareholder, says is, in this oral agreement in 2005, what I agreed was to accept the amount of 150 grand, and in exchange for 150 grand, I will give each of the plaintiffs Sorry about that. I'll give each of the plaintiffs uh, a stake in the company's plant and equipment. They can each take 8.33% of the company's plant and equipment. And the court notes that legally uh, buying a stake in a company's assets uh, is sort of a little bit complex, but uh, in any case, it doesn't become a monstrous issue for our discussion today. And so that's what the defendant's saying. Now, what the plaintiffs are saying is no, no, we paid you 150 grand each, and that 150 grand was for 8.33% of the company, right? It was for shares in the company. And the director says, no, remember, you were just buying 8.33% of the plant and equipment. And in addition, what the defendant says is, in 10 years, we will talk about you becoming shareholders of the company if you are committed to the company over that time. Now, uh, over time, the plaintiffs do show their commitment to the company. They become directors of the company. They put their name on some personal guarantees for the benefit of the company. Uh, they engage in interstate work, which takes them away from their home uh, on behalf of the company for a number of years. And, you know, they would appear to be doing the sorts of things that people who are committed to a company would do. Now, what they also do over time is that each of the parties, the plaintiffs and the defendant, engage various lawyers. There are a number of law firms that get involved, various accountants. There are a number of sets of accountants that get involved to get some legal and tax advice on how everyone is going to record this agreement between themselves. And uh, there are years of back and forths, various draft shareholders agreements, there's tax advice, all this sort of stuff going on. And the short point is the parties do not come to an agreement uh, in relation to the shareholding. Now, in about 2014, one of the plaintiffs commences legal proceedings and the orders that that plaintiff seeks 
are orders essentially putting into effect what that plaintiff says uh, is the outcome of the agreement. Essentially saying, you got my 150 grand, transfer the shares to me. Uh, the defendant, our spouse who is uh, also a shareholder, our defendant today who is the director and shareholder, um, resists those proceedings, but uh, eventually the plaintiffs and the defendant enter into a settlement agreement. And the outcome of that settlement agreement is that the plaintiff's claim uh, and claims are settled and released, and that our defendant and the company we're talking about have to pay an amount totaling around about, whoa, sorry about that, around about $2 million each to each of our plaintiffs. And in doing that, uh, what the plaintiffs do is enter into this settlement deed, uh, which records that the dispute has been fully and finally settled and that the plaintiffs have walked away from their rights in the company. Now, what is interesting is that in about 2015, the defendant, unbeknownst to the plaintiffs, sold the company or agreed to sell the company, forgive me, for about $90 million for both spouses' shares and did not disclose this to the plaintiffs while they were negotiating the settlement agreement. And so the plaintiffs, uh, and the way you get the name plaintiff is you commence proceedings, the plaintiffs commence the proceedings we'll be discussing today. Now, the nature of those proceedings is the plaintiff saying, firstly, uh, similarly to that initial set of proceedings, you hold 8.33% of the shares in this company on trust for us, for each of us, and so you ought to transfer them. And in addition, um, you caused us to sell our rights in relation to those shares for $2 million. We only got $2 million for our claim. That was a huge undervalue because the value of our claim to those shares should be uh, considered in the context of this $90 million sale. Uh, and also there was a breach of a fiduciary obligation of you to disclose to us that you were engaged in these negotiations. Now, um, to give away the ending, uh, they failed. And so let's dive into why. The court had to consider the nature of the oral agreement. And in order to uh, uphold your argument for what you say an oral agreement that's been reached uh, is, you must cause the court to be actually persuaded, to feel actual persuasion that your argument for the oral agreement is the appropriate one. And here, the plaintiffs failed to do that. They failed to actually persuade the court um, that their effect of the agreement, which is to say 8.33% shareholding in exchange for 150 grand, was the deal. Now, they failed for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons was the court found that their evidence was really coloured by bitterness at missing out on the opportunity to be involved in this great big transaction that if they were shareholders, they would have seen some return on. Uh, and one of them, interestingly, was the value of the plant and equipment. Because do you remember that the defendant made this interesting argument saying the deal was to take 8.33% of the plant and equipment. It wasn't for shares. In shares, you'd have to wait 10 years. Now, um, interestingly, the 150 grand valuation was arrived at because that was about one twelfth or about 8.33% of the value of the company, I withdraw that, of the value of the company's plant and equipment 
at the time the defendant bought back his shares from that other shareholder. Do you remember that we discussed at the start of this note? And so the court had not much difficulty saying, well, the defendant's a pretty shrewd business operator. Um, uh, the defendant is not going to accept merely 8.33% of the plant and equipment in exchange for an 8.33% stake in the company that included goodwill, because that'd be an uncommercial thing to say, thing, thing to do, it'd be throwing away goodwill. And so um, what the court found was that the defendant's view of the agreement was right. And so what that meant was that the plaintiff's claim failed. And what that also meant was that costs followed the event and that on the face of it, the plaintiffs would be paying the legal costs of the defendant. And I hope that quick discussion, the few leaves, a couple of trips was of value to you. And I look forward to speaking again soon. Cheers.